Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. The more I learn, the more I don't know. The Word of God is so rich and so powerful. And about the time we begin to think we may have a handle on it, Brother Brown, God just does something more with it. I'll have to admit to you that First and Second Thessalonians have never been two of my favorite books. And I think primarily it's because I viewed them as prophetic books. Because, you know, it does talk about the rapture. It talks about the return of Christ more than any of the other books do. And, but right before Christmas, I was reading them, and God began to really minister to me in these two books. And the more I began to meditate on it, the more I began to dig into them, I began to realize something about these books. And I think that the, the truth of the book uh, may be coming from a commentary that I run across from the, uh, Nelson's commentary that may, summed it up this way. In the teaching of the return of Christ, it says that Thessalonians leaves the reader wide awake to the responsibilities of the present, not gazing into the future. The responsibilities of the present, not gazing into the future. Now, it's great to look forward to the rapture. How many are looking forward to the rapture? Amen. But how many knows that until that time comes, we're not supposed to be gazing into the future. We're supposed to be doing what God asked us to do. And so the more I looked at that and I began to say, okay, God, what, what are you trying to tell me? I realize that you can't understand what First and Second Thessalonians is written about until you realize when it was written and what it was written for. And to know that, you've got to go to the book of Acts because that, that tells us the context. See, in chapter 14 of Acts, Paul and Barnabas had returned from their first missionary journey and in chapter 15, they attended the first general council of the church. They went to Jerusalem. All the church leaders went to Jerusalem because there are some issues that needed to be resolved. Primarily about what, how they were going to handle circumcision. Other issues that were there. And so they, they had this church council. And in that, they took care of some business. Then Paul and Barnabas felt led to take another missionary journey. But they had a disagreement. They had a disagreement over what to do with Mark, John Mark. Because Uncle Barney, now the reason I call him Uncle Barney, because Barney was one that was always encouraging people. Matter of fact, his name was really not Barnabas. His name was Joseph. But everybody called him Barnabas because he was the one that uh, always was giving words of encouragement. 
How many thinks that the church could use a ton of Barnabases today? People just speaking encouragement into people's lives. And so Uncle Barney said, John Mark needs to go with us again. And Paul said, no way. Said we got halfway of our journey last time and he left. He's staying home. Now, if that would have been a lot of churches, they'd had a real church split. Barnabas and Paul would have got on Facebook (laughs) and they would have aired their differences and made a big issue of the fact that they disagreed with one another. Aren't you glad they didn't do that? Aren't you glad that they agreed to disagree and said, let's carry on. And there's some of you here today, some that are watching online today, that you need to come to the conclusion, it's okay for somebody to disagree with you. One of the greatest freedoms I ever gained in my life is whenever I found out I didn't have to be right. I'm trying to convince my wife that I am right every now and then. But it's freedom, Brother Brown, to realize, hey, I don't have to have an exclusive right on this. I don't have to be always right. And I can agree and, or disagree with you and say, let's get on with life. Let's continue with what we're doing. So that's what Paul and Barnabas did. Barnabas went one way. He took uh, John Mark with him. And Silas went with Paul, and guess what? The very next thing he did, he left this one rookie and he picked up another one. His name was Timothy because he began to mentor Timothy. Now, this is just my opinion. And as I often tell you, my opinion won't even buy you a cup of coffee. But I believe it was God's perfect will for Paul and Barnabas to separate. You know why? They begin to do what? Twice as much. They begin to do twice as much because they were able to go to places and minister and they were able to train people. Barnabas continued to train John Mark. Paul trained Timothy. And if you go on reading in Acts, you'll find in chapter 16, it finds Paul and Silas and Timothy beginning what we know as Paul's second missionary journey. And we have to read a little bit of that so we can get the idea of the magnitude of this calling of God. So let's go to uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 6. And I know some of you say, well, I thought we was going to look in Thessalonians. We're going to do that next week. This is introductory. But notice in chapter 16, verse 6, it says, and they went through the region of Phygeria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, this ought to give some of you a hint. Sometimes it's, also, it's good to be quiet. Did you notice that? Did you notice it says the Holy Spirit said, now is not the time. You heard about the... the the lady that went to the, to the wedding uh, marriage counselor. And he said, listen, she began to tell him about how bad her husband was. said, I want you to do something. He said, anytime you get ready to get in an argument with your spouse, I want you to take a, 
a drink of water and swish your mouth for 30 seconds. And you know, it's an amazing thing. Their problems begin to be eased. And so she went back to the counselor and said, hey, what is the secret of that? Is it something uh, medicinal or is it some kind of drug in the water? What is it? He said, no, you just learned to keep your mouth shut for 30 seconds. <laughs> now, I want you to know, ladies, that can be reversed just as easy, okay? We don't want that fat lady or the fat man either one, okay? But notice what it says. And they went through, and the Holy Spirit said, not now. And when they come up to Mesia, they attempted to go in Bethania, but the Spirit of the Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mesia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So God basically had closed the doors where Paul had originally planned to go and opened another door. Now, we don't have any idea or, or know the full magnitude of all this vision. All we know is what little bit we see right there. And we see that uh, Paul received what we know as a Macedonian call. It says, come preach the word. And I believe Lee hit upon this a little earlier today when he says that your prayers may be what's somebody's life is hinging on. See, because there are people praying today that may not even know who to pray to. They know, may not even know what they were looking for. But there's something inside that's empty, that's hurting, that's needing something. And they're calling out to God in some manner, saying, God, send somebody to minister to my hurts. Come send somebody to minister. Now again, I don't know the entire story, but I know that God honored that. I've talked to enough missionaries that have told me that they go into an area that supposedly the message had never been heard and they would meet somebody and said, you know what? I've been praying that God would send somebody to tell us. And your neighbor, you may never think about it, but they may be praying in their spirit. They don't know how to pray. They don't know about Jesus, but they know there's a void and they're looking for something to fill that void. How many thinks that God hears that prayer? Amen. I believe God heard that person from Macedonia say, I want to know something. So send somebody and Paul and Silas and Timothy went. So as we read the story, I think we would all agree that God's hand was upon them. They were in the center of God's will. They were to see some great results. But you remember, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, 
when Jesus told the disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side, he sent them square into the midst of a storm. They were totally in God's will. Paul was totally in God's will. But his first stop in Macedonia was in a place called Philippi. And they wound up in prison. It's recorded in the 16th chapter. They wound up in prison. They wound up being beaten almost to death. Even though they were in the perfect will of God. That's another great story. That's a great sermon. But let's go on to chapter 17. Because the entire story of the church being planted in Thessalonica is recorded in nine verses. It's almost ignored the rest of the book, except Paul addresses his letter that we're going to look at next week to this church that was planted in chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Let's read it. Now, when they had passed through Amphilippus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, the synagogue of the Jews, we have to remember, but this was uh, probably 50, 51 AD. They did not have the New Testament. I said, they did not have the New Testament. So what were they using? Anybody got an idea? Old Testament. Boy, some of you sharp. (laughs) They were using the Old Testament. That was all they had. And as Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, now let me just pause here because there's a little bit of, uh, not discrepancy in the word, but differences of understanding because uh, here it specifically says three Sabbaths. Many Bible scholars think he might have stayed a little bit longer than three weeks. But we know for at least three weeks, he reasoned with them in the, in the synagogue. Now you say, what's a synagogue? It's our word for a church. They were getting together and they were not studying the New Testament because they didn't have it. They were studying the Old Testament. And Paul would go in on the Sabbath day which was a Saturday, that was a Sabbath day, and he would go in and we reason with them and begin to expound, and it says explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. So these were people that met together every Saturday, They met together on the Sabbath day and he began to explain to them using Old Testament and then bringing them up to where the story that he knew where Jesus was what? Crucified, buried, and rose again. And some of them began to believe. Some of them accepted what was being preached. Says a few of the Jews... And a great many of the devout Greeks. In other words, those, these were the Greeks, those that were, had been in the process of worshiping God. But they were not Jews. 
and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. Now, why would it single out the Jews? Because what happened is the bigger portion of those religious Jews got jealous. They got jealous. Now, why would they get jealous? Well, if you go back and read the story about Paul was put in prison in Philippi, what was it? Because remember, they kicked, cast a demon out of a fortune teller. In other words, when it began to get in their pocketbook, they didn't like it. When it began to get in their pocketbook, they didn't like it. We need to understand something. When you begin to see people losing financial gain, when they lose power, when they lose influence, that stirs up trouble every time. Now, how many of you know you don't have to always get outside of the church to find out you can have problems? Huh? How many of you think that a lot of church problems is caused by the same things? Loose of power, loss of position, loss of property. You know it to be true. Most of us can tell a horror story about that happening in a church. And you have to remember what was the synagogue of that day? That was the church. And Paul came in and shook things up. Some of them realized they were losing their financial gain. Some of them thought they were losing their position, Brother Brown. Now, the reason I sing out Brother Brown, he's been around the block like I have. And I want to tell you, there's some Christians when they begin to lose their power, when they lose their position, when they lose that, then all of a sudden it creates an uproar. Guess what happened this day? An uproar. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, you know, they want to wash their hands of it, but guess what they do? They talk somebody else into causing the disturbance. They create a mob. They formed a mob. Now, it's kind of interesting. I looked up that word here in the, in the Greek. That word for mob, mob was a, a confused throng. A confused group of people. Now, I don't want to chase this rabbit very far, but how many thinks that some of the mob that was in existence with all the uh, uh, protests a few months back, how many thinks that they were a confused throng? They didn't have a clue, but some may have instigated that to create confusion. Just throw this out there free of charge. Do you think it could have been the loss of finances, the loss of power, the loss of position? Just saying. But they were jealous. And they got a mob. And they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Now, who's Jason? Only thing we know about Jason is mentioned here and just casually mentioned a couple other times. One other place says that he was a kinsman of Paul. That's all we know. But so they were in Jason's house 
they were seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now, let me just mention that world upside down. You say, that's mighty uh, powerful because this was just one town. But where was this town? Where was Macedonia? It was at the beginning and the entryway into the Greek empire. See, he was going to be in Athens real soon. So he says, you're shaking up the entire world. And so it created a problem. And Jason has received them and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king, Jesus. Now that doesn't sound too powerful to us. But you know what, that, what crime that was? Treason. You know what treason, the penalty for treason was? Death. So this was not just saying, hey, you're preaching a doctrine. It said, you deserve to die. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security or a bond from Jason because they were committing. Jason said, you got to get rid of these people. You got to get them out of here. They let them go. And they say, well, how does that affect us today? What can we learn from it? Well, these are some lessons that I think is very clear here that I want to point out to you just for a moment. Number one is I believe we need to learn to agree to disagree and get on with business. Let me say that again. We need to learn to agree to disagree and get on with business. I want to tell you something. Theology and doctrine is very important. I don't want to ignore that. There's a lot of theologies and all that need to be taught against. I totally understand that. But folks, if you're waiting for you to agree with me 100%, it's not going to happen. You know why? You're wrong. <laughs> now, I've already said I, I learned that I don't have to be right. But we've get, the church, the body of Christ needs to learn to agree to disagree. And get on with the show. Secondly, even if we disagree on some issues, let's remember the overall picture. How many believes that the kingdom is bigger than you are? Amen. I know you get tired of me quoting James Davis in his ministry. But the biggest thing his ministry has going for him said, let's agree to disagree and let's reach the world. Let's join hands and do something bigger than what we can do together. Amen. Thirdly, sometimes God leads us into the storm. 
Sometimes God says, you know, we like to think, well, God, God was in this because everything worked smooth. I've seen that. But I've also seen times that the enemy was so upset that he did everything in his power to stop it. He created a storm. He created a, a, dis, a disenfranchisement. He created all these things to get you discouraged and think, well, it couldn't be God because there's a storm. But sometimes God leads us directly into the storm. Lesson number four, the kingdom is bigger than we are. I said the kingdom is bigger than we are. Lesson number five, know that the loss of power, the loss of prestige, the loss of property will always lead to opposition. I know none of you have ever been into a church business meeting where that happened. But I understand that sometimes that, ha that has happened in some churches. The loss of power, loss of prestige, loss of property will often lead to opposition. I want you to know something. Satan is not worried about a church that's dead. He'll let a church that's dead just float on downstream. The church is dead. It's not doing anything. But you let a church begin to have revival. You let a church begin to accomplish something for the glory of God. Now, I wasn't around then. I know you think I probably was. But I understand when Billy Sunday was preaching in Philadelphia a number of years ago before I was born. That he closed so many bars down that they literally run him out of town. Lesson number six, we need to be willing to relinquish these for the sake of the kingdom. What are, what are the these? The power. Having been around the block a few times, I remember Marvin Gorman preaching at a, at a conference that I went to when I was just a young minister and he was talking about small churches. Now, I agree with Tommy Barnett. He said there's nothing wrong with a small church for a week. Because we need to be about the Father's business. We need to be about growing. But I remember what Marvin Gorman said. He said it really bothered him that there were so many Assembly of God churches that were small. But then he remembered the nation of Israel, when they got ready to leave, one of the, the, the points that was given was they were, had those issues. They did not go the shortcut because he needed to teach the young men how to do war. That's what pastoring some churches are. It's war. So that means that we have to learn to be willing to relinquish our power. To relinquish our position. To relinquish our property or our money for the sake of the kingdom. 
Next week, we're going to be looking at First and Second Thessalonians. And we'll see about the return of Christ and the rapture of the church. And hopefully it will leave the reader wide awake to the responsible, responsibility of the presence, not gazing into the future. But let me ask you this question. I mentioned those lessons, and I think we're vital lessons. But what was the key point of Paul's sermon? The church was established within three to six weeks. That brief revival gave eternal rewards. How many agree with me? How many thinks that church at Thessalonica was worth starting? It started in a three to six week revival. All these great lessons. But what was Paul's message? Well, if you study Paul's life, you'll find out that his main message was his story. How many times did he get him say, I was on the road to Damascus. And Jesus, the one that I'd persecuted, ministered to me. That was his number one sermon. He wasn't have made it as a pastor of the day. He didn't have it two or three. But what did he preach? It tells us here. And Paul went in, as was his custom. That means he went to church regularly. Every Sabbath day, he was going to be in the synagogue. And he took reason with them from the scriptures. Probably one of those scriptures is one in Isaiah says, where, Come, let us reason together. My sins, which were scarlet. Should be white as snow. He probably used those in chapter 53 of Isaiah that talked about the suffering servant. But notice, he says, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, who I proclaim to you, is the Christ. When Jesus asked Peter and the other disciples, he said, who do men say that I am? Some said, well, you're Isaiah. You're Elijah. No, no, no. Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And do you know why Jesus was crucified? The only thing wrong that they could find to put him to death, he claimed to be the Son of God. They couldn't claim treason, couldn't claim that he had been bad, couldn't claim that he murdered anybody, but he professed or claimed to be the Son of God. That was Paul's message. That was Paul's message. 
And guess what? That should be our message. Oh, yes, we need to be taught proper theology. We need to be taught doctrine. We need to be taught a lot of things. But until we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, there's really nothing worth arguing about. So what do we do? Let's agree to disagree and get on with the show. Let's remember the overall picture. Realize that sometimes that person you think they must be doing a terrible bad thing because man, they're going through a storm. It could be led directly by God. The kingdom is bigger than we are. And when you start talking and losing people's power, prestige and property, they're going to get upset. And those of us that love God with all of our heart, we need to be willing to relinquish those things for the sake of the gospel. Because the key point is Jesus Christ and him crucified and him resurrected. That's the message of the church. That's the message that Paul preached to the church at Thessalonica. And next week we'll get into the messages that he wrote in his letter to correct the issues that arose as that church had revival. I want the worship team to come back. And I want to ask you to bow your head and hearts in prayer. Those of you online, please bow with us. And let's ask God to search our hearts. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for meeting with us here today. Thank you for taking these broken, wounded vessels and making them a vessel of honor. Father, we surrender to you right now. We surrender to you right now and ask you to minister by their, your power and your strength and your anointing. Have your willing way right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I know Leah has already led us in prayer. But before we partake of communion, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? I know he asked it already, but how many of you need God to do something for you today? Just raise your hand. Holy Spirit, minister by your power. It's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by your Spirit, saith the Lord. So God, we ask you to minister to each and every heart and life. And God, if there are anyone here today, they've never put their faith and trust in you, I'm not asking them to join this local church. I'm asking them to receive Jesus 
as their Lord and Savior. And Father, we ask you to minister right now. Touch our hearts and our lives. And God, we ask you to minister even right now. We're going to sing this course. Then we're going to partake of communion. But prior to taking of communion, if you need to re receive Christ, if you need us to pray for you for any other need, why don't just make your way to the altar. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.